Thank you. Um, I firstly want to say that um, I don't depend on your dana. I depend on my partner's generosity. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and I really want to say that because for me, um, if I was, um, for me in the, in the West, um, if I was to become quite dependent, then the teaching would become something different for me. So um, I will appreciate your generosity. If it's a choice between giving me Dana and buying a book, I'd prefer you bought the book because I don't want to carry heavy books home. <laughs> okay. So um, Vivian, I'm, I'm one of these uh, teachers perhaps that um, create, um, what shall I say, maybe create activation because I'm one of these teachers who, who gives talks in between rather than giving one long Dana talk. So I don't know if you put recording on and then you can cut and, cut and paste. Okay, thank you. But firstly, welcome. I, I, I'm doing one of my favorite things. I love to, I love to practice. I really do love to practice and have the opportunity to practice. And I will say that, uh, where's Angela? Angela and I have had the good fortune. We, 70 African descent Dharma teachers gathered at Spirit Rock. It was a very historical time for a week. And then we swelled to 320 African descent people over the weekend as, as a Sangha. So I'm very, um, I'm very, filled up with that and and hope uh with the um the merit and the the blessings that I got from that that those past nine days that I can impart some of that uh yeah just whatever it is in impart some of that to you today so it would just be great to hear people's names in the room uh, your name, pronoun, and uh, what made you come today? So just very briefly. So I, I'll begin. Uh, Vimala Sara, um, my pronouns, they, them, theirs. And I'm here because I love to practice. Thank you. Thank you. So um, if, if we're recording, then let's sing the uh, lyrics of the title of the uh, <laughs> retreat. Just um, free ourselves from mental slavery. No one but, no one but ourselves can free ourselves. And let's, let's kind of repeat it uh, a, few, a few times. And, um, and, and, and I always say, this is my caveat, that... Uh, just to prove to you that not all black people can sing, so don't take the lead from me. So um, I don't know. Is there anybody here who 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 likes who likes singing? Nobody. <laughs> God, you've got to free yourself from that story, then, haven't you? Okay. So um, after. Um, I'll clap three times and then we can 
we we can start. Free ourselves from mental slavery. No one but ourselves can free ourselves. Let's, okay, so that, let's, okay, that was our rehearsal. Okay, so <laughs> let's start. You can cut that one out. Okay. Free ourselves from mental slavery. No one but ourselves can free ourselves. Free ourselves from mental slavery. No one but ourselves can free ourselves. Free ourselves from mental slavery. No one but ourselves can free ourselves. Okay. As you um, say those words, what does that mean to some of you? What does that mean? No, go on. Not expecting someone else to change. Thank you. Anybody else? I think the same is for me. It's self-sabotage. One other person? Um, Having control over compulsive um, tendencies and habits. Who who, uh, thinks it's possible to be free of suffering? That you really believe that it is possible to that there is an end of suffering. And I ask this question because there are many Buddhist practitioners, practitioners who have been practiced for a long time and who don't necessarily really believe that there can be an end of suffering. So who here? And I think I saw your hand go up, Shokan. Do you, yeah, do you want to say something about that? Um, so, I mean, I've been practicing... Zen Buddhism for about 27 years, and um, for the first 20, <laughs> I was told that I create my own suffering, and even though I, I knew that, um, it was hard to, to see. It's subtle. It, it, it becomes more and more subtle. Um, but there were moments of, there were moments of where I could see how I could free myself, um, and I'd see other people that are free, so... I, I, I don't know if it's hope, but I, I do believe it for myself. Great, thank you. Is there anybody else who really believes that there can be an end of suffering? I think uh, there can be an end of suffering in the moment, and you know that's the first step. Uh, so when you are suffering in the moment, I think your breath can take you out of that suffering Mm. uh, because uh, you can actually uh, stop your thought with your breath. Thank you. So, oh, we got a hand at at the back there. 
Hi. I I believe that um that uh, being present doesn't guarantee always guarantee happiness because there is so much suffering and uncertainty in the world and and even for me. But I do believe that it guarantees peace, that I can be at peace with whatever is happening, and that subsides suffering. Okay, one more person. To me, I think uh, resisting that there is suffering uh, creates deeper suffering. And accepting that there is suffering gives a lot more moments uh, of freeness from the suffering. Mm. So for me, acceptance that there is suffering. Mm. Uh, yeah. Okay. And let's hear the other voice in the room, people who actually think that it's not possible to have an end of suffering. It's really important to have that voice in the room. Who wants to speak to that? I, I think it depends on what we mean by suffering. If we are talking about physical pain, I read that even the Buddha had back problems. After his enlightenment, he felt physical pain. So even an enlightened person, if, if they are tortured, they will feel pain. I think uh, psychological suffering could be ended at least temporarily. Uh, temporarily. I can not imagine the future, not rehash the past. I can... But, but this requires a lot of attention and maybe a full-time attention in order to stay uh, equanimous. But, yeah. but there's always this vulnerability of being in this world and having a nervous system. I don't know if we can end all suffering, but I think that we can change our perceptions of suffering. Anybody else? Okay. Uh, anybody who's like this? Okay, thank you. Um, thank you for, for sharing. So, um, well, I want to say that I really do believe that there can be an end of suffering. And... Um, I'm not saying that I've got to that place where there is an end of suffering, but I will say that I have so much more freedom in my life since I've been practicing, and I have so much less suffering in my life. And I'm at a place in my life where I can really see how I multiply my suffering. Yeah, I can really see that. Those of you who are mathematical you can have p times r equals s what do those letters stand for p times r equals s equals exactly yeah yeah shinzen young uses that mathematical yeah. And as somebody, um, so as somebody said that uh, we, we're going to have pain, but pain, physical pain, and I want to also say mental pain. 
because sometimes we think, well, you know, physical pain is inevitable and mental pain is more that, that, that thing that we've increased. But there's physical pain and there's mental pain, which the Buddha spoke about as the first arrow. Okay. So Dogen, uh, a great teacher, and he, his, his son had died and he had showed upset and, and some distress and his disciples, his disciples said, but Dogen, you've, you've said that nothing lives and nothing dies and that everything is impermanent. And Dogen said, yes, but the pain of a child is the most painful of illusions. And those of you who don't have children, your partner may be the most painful of illusions. And those of you who don't have partners, it may be your sibling or your pet, which is the most painful of illusions. Or it may be yourself, which is the most painful of illusions to let go of. Okay. So there is this, that, that we, we say that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. And this is what we're going to explore today, that, that, that optional. And I'm not saying it's, it's easy, because this, this practice isn't easy. But the one thing that I do want to say is that often people... Well, I should ask the question before saying it. Who, who wants enlightenment? Who, who wants to be enlightened? Yeah? Okay. Not everybody necessarily wants to be enlightened, you know. And what I would say is, is that actually the prince didn't vow to find enlightenment, okay? The prince vowed to find an end of suffering. That's really different. And, and often I read in texts where it says, you know, the prince sat beneath the Bodhi tree and said that, they weren't going to move from this spot until they found enlightenment. No, the prince sat beneath the Bodhi tree and actually vowed that they would not move from that spot until they found an end of suffering. Yeah. And this is, this is really important. It is really important because actually if we are chasing enlightenment, we will spiritually bypass Okay. And it will catch up with us. To have liberation, to have freedom from mental slavery, we have to face the suffering and see through the suffering and see the emptiness of suffering. We have to keep on turning towards it until nothing is there. Okay. And that's how we begin to get some freedom. And I have a, a, a small diagram on the whiteboard there. And in that circle, you will see there's a slice of the pie which says what we know. And what we know is quite limited. Okay? It is quite limited. And then there's the bigger part of the pie where what we don't know and 
often we're oscillating between what we know and what we don't know. When we don't know something, we'll go to the library or we'll go to Professor Google and we will look up so that we find out what it is that we don't know and then we move back into what we know. And this is informational learning. Learning that we get from books, that we get from the internet, or even speaking to people. But the bigger part of the pie is what we don't know that we don't know. And that's transformational learning. And that's the Dharma. This transformational learning. What we don't know that we don't know. Okay. It's kind of safe to stay in that space of what we know and what we don't know. That's kind of safe. But to surrender to what we don't know that we don't know is the territory we're moving into when we explore the Buddhist teachings. And there is this, this saying that says it's better to have never have woken up than to have woken up and then pretend to be asleep. Okay. It's better to have never have woken up than to have woken up and then pretend to be asleep. And many of us wake up to something and then we pretend to be asleep. We, we, we don't want to know it. And I always say, for me, insight, liberation is, is bittersweet because we, we face something and it's like, oh my God. And, it, it's, and we have to let go of something. When we have liberation and freedom, we have to, we have to let go of something. We, we have to let go of a view. Yeah? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this short story. I, um, I, I tell myself that my partner's family haven't accepted me. And there are reasons why. And I can, I can find all the reasons why my partner's parents haven't accepted me. And I've been married to my partner for, I better get this right, just in case my partner's listening. <laughs> I think I've been married about 11 years, something like that, 11 years. And this year my partner's parents visited and they had visited and I was out away working and I got home very late so I didn't see them and in the morning I had to work so I was on the computer upstairs in the office working and when I came down about 10 or 11 o'clock the, the, my partner's parents were there and they said that they had been waiting for me to come down and they presented us with this check, a check for $10,000. And they said, this is for both of you. It's got, it's got Cheryl's name on the check, but it is for both of you. And I want you to know that it's for both of you. And I was very moved. And the next day I said to my partner, well, I can't, I can't divorce you now. <laughs> But the thing is, I was saying to friends, I have to let go of the story. I have to let go of the story that my partner's parents don't accept me in the family. I have to let go of that story. And it's hard to let go of the story because we want to hold on to it. But if we hold on to the story, we don't have freedom. And the thing is, I didn't have freedom with that story, even if it was true that they didn't accept me. 
the fact that I hold on to that story, I lose freedom because it creates resentment. It creates activation. And what it does is it activates the first time perhaps I experience some rejection. Okay? That's what it's doing. You know, what, what my partner's parents, you know, perhaps did or have done in the past, that's not what is actually upsetting me. What's upsetting me is all the times that I haven't been accepted. All the times that I have experienced some kind of rejection. And that pain, the past of the pain, is in the present. So when we begin to free ourselves of this mental slavery, we have to free ourselves from the past. When the prince sat beneath the tree and said, I will not move from this spot until I find an end of suffering. We're told that past lives, past lives came up during that time. That intergenerational trauma that we talk about, those past lives arose in the prince's mind. This tells us that we have to let go of the past and the past of our intergenerational trauma. All of us have intergenerational trauma. And we have to turn towards that and let go of the past. We also know that when the prince said that they would not move from that spot until they found an end of suffering. We know that Mara arose. Mara. And we all know what Mara is. We all experience Mara, this, what I call this attack of the ego. The attack of the ego. Those voices, those judging voices that you were talking about. We, the, the word we say is papancha this proliferation of thought. And when the prince was sitting, we know that Mara arose in the form of hatred. Mara sent an army to try and disturb, to try and hijack the prince's liberation, sent arrows at the prince. And the prince was able to transform these arrows into lotus flowers, lotus petals. And okay, so it's a, it's a romantic story. We don't have to take it literally. But what we can see is, is that the prince didn't identify with the hatred. And this is how we begin to free ourselves from mental slavery, by not identifying with the hatred. You know, it's said that the Buddha, when the Buddha was a, a Buddha, uh, woke up to the truth, that they said something like this, this is not me, this is not mine, 
this is not I. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not I. This hatred and this resentment that arises in us, often we become the hatred. We identify with it. We appropriate it. It, it, it becomes us. And it's not us. If we were to point to the hatred or the anger or the resentment in us, what would we point to? What would it be that we pointed to? We also know it's said that uh, when the prince vowed to find an end of suffering, that desire arose. Yes, it's said that there were beautiful beings cavorting in front of the prince, naked beings. And we all know how we can be distracted. Well, sometimes actually I feel the naked body is a bit boring actually. The body clothed is actually, when the body is sexualizing clothing, that can be far more attractive than when actually you see the naked body. But we know that we can be uh, distracted by what I call eye candy. We see somebody and and we think, oh, they're beautiful, they're handsome, they're, they're pretty, and, and we get so distracted, and this, this, this beautiful person looks at us, and we have this sensation in us which is pleasurable, and then we tell ourselves that this person likes us, and then we like them, and, and then we've fallen in love with them, and, and then we've married them, and, and then we've had their children, and then they've died somehow, and in a matter of seconds, we've fallen in love with them, we've married them, we've had their children, they've died, and that's the end of the story. You know that? Hasn't that happened to some of you? Yeah, I can see some of you smiling. Because we have appropriated, because we have identified with something that has arisen in our mind and we have lost this freedom, we have lost this liberation and we become a victim of this mental slavery. There will be some of you who do serial monogamy. You cannot be alone. You go from partner to partner to partner. We also know when the prince vowed to find an end of suffering, boredom arose. And we know, boredom, boredom is, is, is very interesting. We often hear children say to their parents or to teachers in school, I'm bored. I'm bored. Yeah. And what they're really saying is nothing much is going on. And when nothing much is going on, we want to spice it up a bit. We begin to act up a bit. Some people believe that actually, I was one of those people, I believed that actually if chaos wasn't happening in my life, I couldn't do well. Once upon a time, I created the chaos so that I could function because I grew up in chaos in my childhood. Chaos was normal. I didn't know the difference. And I really believed that if I created the chaos, I would be able to function and I could function out of that. But this was a form 
of mental slavery. Many negative, I don't want to even say negative, let's say many mental states arose in the prince's mind yeah, to try and sabotage, sabotage this freedom, this liberation. Doubt, doubt arose. Doubt, and we know what doubt is like. Doubt is just so undermining. We also know that sloth and torpor arose. Restlessness and anxiety arose within the prince's experience. But doubt, doubt almost undermined, undermined the prince. Mara, Mara, Lord Mara, Lord Mara was unable to distract the prince. Mara, these mental states that arose, everything arose. And it wasn't as if the prince said, it's not happening, I'm pretending it's not happening. No, the prince faced it. The prince saw these things, didn't block them out, but saw the emptiness in them, saw the illusion in them. But the thing is, is that the prince, at this point, before the prince found liberation, was separate from these mental states, was still separate. Okay. And this is really important. The prince was separate from this ill will, from this sense desire, this, this restlessness, this sloth and torpor was still separate, which are the hindrances, these hindrances which obstruct the mind. And doubt arose in the form of, Lord Mara said, who gave you the seat to enlightenment? 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 And the prince touched the earth. Let the earth be my witness. And in that moment, the prince became one. The prince realized the interconnectedness, the interconnectedness of the earth, the interconnectedness of all the elements of fire, air, water, earth, consciousness and space. Yeah. The prince was no longer separate. And it was in that moment the prince found true freedom. And it's said there are many uh, versions of what it is that the prince said. One of the versions is it's said that the prince said that these labels that identify me as a god, a human, an Asura, a Deva, these labels have been destroyed by me. 
listen again. These labels that define me as a God, as a human, as a Deva, as an Asurer, as, as a man, these labels have been destroyed by me. And it's in those destructions of the labels of these identities that we have of male, female, non-binary, transgender, black, white, queer, straight, cisgendered, whatever. It's in these, these destructions of these labels that we free ourselves of mental slavery. Another version says that it was said that the prince said, I see the builder of the house. I see the builder of the house. I no longer build the house. I put down the burden of I. I see the builder of the house. I no longer build the house. I put down the burden of I. And this is what we are going to explore. The builder of the house. Who is building your house? For you to reflect on for the rest of this day. Who is building your house? Who is building your house? And so we will dedicate the day long in a call and response practice. To help us to arrive. So we will, I'll ring the bell. We'll sit for just a couple of minutes to allow the discursiveness to settle and then we will do the dedication ceremony to begin to arrive. dedication ceremony in call and response. We dedicate this day long to the three jewels, to the Buddha, the ideal of enlightenment which we aspire, to the Dharma, the path of the teachings which we follow. To the Sangha, the spiritual fellowship with one another which we enjoy. Here may no idle word be spoken. 
Here may no unquiet thought disturb our minds. To the observance of the five precepts, we dedicate this day long. To the practice of meditation, we dedicate this day long. To the development of wisdom, we dedicate this day long. To the attainment of enlightenment, we dedicate this day long. Namo tasa. Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambudhasa Namo Tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambudhasa Namo tasa, Bhagavato Arahato, Sama Sambudhasa, Budhang Saranam Gachami, Dhamang Saranam Gachami. Sangham Saranam Gachami Dutiampi Budhang Saranam Gachami Dutiampi Damang Saranam Gachami Dutiampi Sangham Saranam Gachami Tatiampi Budhang Saranam Gachami Tatiampi Damang Saranam Gachami Tatiampi Sangham Saranam Gachami Panatipata Veremini Sikapadang Samadiyami Adinadana Veremini Sikapadang Samadiyami Kamesu Michachara Veremini Sikapadang Samadiyami Musavada Veremini Sikapadang 
Samadhyami Sura Maria Maja Panaditana Veremini Sekapadang Samadhyami Sadhu 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 I undertake to abstain from harming life With deeds of loving kindness I purify my body I undertake to abstain from taking the not given. With open-handed generosity, I purify my body. I undertake to abstain from sexual misconduct. With stillness, simplicity and contentment, I purify my body. I undertake to abstain from false speech. With truthful communication, I purify my speech. I undertake to abstain from taking intoxicants. With mindfulness clear and radiant, I purify my mind. Though in the world outside there is strife, here may there be peace. Though in the world outside there is hate, here may there be love. Though in the world outside there is grief, here may there be joy. And here is in the body. Not by the chanting of the sacred scriptures. Not by the sprinkling of holy water. But by our own efforts towards enlightenment. We dedicate this day long. Around this mandala. This sacred spot, may the lotus petals of purity open. Around this mandala, this sacred spot, may the Vajra wall of determination extend. Around this mandala, this sacred spot, May the flames that transmute samsara into nirvana arise. Here seated, here practicing, may our mind become Buddha, may our thought become Dharma, may our communication with one another be Sangha. For the happiness of all beings, for the benefit of all beings, 
with body, speech and mind, we dedicate this day long. So allow yourself to be held by the lotus petals of purity. We are surrounded by the lotus petals of purity. And outside that wall of lotus petals of purity, we have the wall, the Vadra wall of determination holding us. And outside that Vadra wall of determination, we have the flames that transmute samsara into nirvana surrounding us and we will be held in that container and even when we go out for lunch we'll just extend those three walls out into the world so that we can still be So if you could play Sweet Honey. So just uh, going to play a Sweet Honey track. Sometimes I feel like I'm almost gone. Way else, sometimes. 
of you here in this room have ever 
felt like a parentless child. Um, one of the lines which uh, really resonates for me in this track is that we are, we are a long way from home. Imagine when you leave this day long, you leave here early evening to go home and you can't find your way home. What would that be like? It's a question. What would it be like? You leave here to go home, but you just can't find your way home, and you're looking for hours and hours, and you can't find your way home. What would that be like? Frustrating? Terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely terrifying. And I will say to you that the majority of you cannot find your way home because home is the body. Yeah. And if we want to free ourselves from mental slavery, we have to find our way back home to the body. But many of us have fled the body. We left the body years ago. Nobody was home. We switched off all the feelings, switched off all the lights. Nobody was home. We fled the body to take care of ourselves. Yeah. And this is why this practice isn't for the faint-hearted. Because we have to somehow find our way back home to the body. And I can't do it for you. I, I can't do it for you. All I can do is perhaps open a doorway, point you in the direction. And all these teachings, even if you just globbed onto one teaching, there are so many teachings and just one of them will be able to take you home. And these teachings are the finger pointing to the moon. So this thing also not to identify on the teaching, the teaching, see where the teaching is pointing you to. See where the teaching is pointing to you. Because all the teachings are fingers pointing to the moon. How do we find our way home? A question for you. What's, what's one of those songs that you used to sing when you were young? What was one of your national anthems, one of your anthems, like one of my anthems was, it, it was crazy when I think about it now, I laugh, it was, we always used to sing, where's your mama gone, where's your mama gone, where's your papa gone, where's your papa gone, far, far away. I grew up in an orphanage and that was the song we used to happily sing and now it's like, oh wow, what were some of the songs that you used to happily sing 
and think about those lyrics because that will tell you something about your mental slavery. Would anybody like to share? I saw you smiling. Vivian, do you have the microphone? Oh, thank you. You can. So two songs came into my head. I'm thinking of myself really little. Uh, my family used to always make me sing You Are My Sunshine, like over and over and over again. Um, but I love to do it. And then I remember when, uh, it's a Shanice song, it's called I Love Your Smile. <laughs> and I was obsessed with that song. I remember asking my mom to play it on the cassette over and over. I was that kid. It had to be done over and over and over. And those, they just always made me so happy. So now when I hear them, it's like very nostalgic. Thank you. Um, so it's interesting, because my songs, I don't even, <laughs> I wouldn't even know how to place that. Who, who, who used to smile for you? My mom. Yeah. Always my mom. She loved to hear me sing those songs. And she's a singer. So it's yeah. like, you know, to see me running around singing was like, but yeah, every time I think of those songs, I think of my mom. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you. Somebody else. Well, I, I actually am a singer. Um, I have sung here on that stage. <laughs> it's on YouTube, Eugene Criswell. Um, but, you know, when I grew up, I had a very traumatic childhood, and music was, you know, I was fascinated with the whole Harry Potter books and everything. But for me as a boy, music was magic. And so I didn't have a particular song. It's just, I just, it was magic. And the, and the musicians, the artists were, they were uh, wizards to me. But I remember a life-changing thing. I maybe was 10 and I saw Diana Ross had a TV special. And she sung a song called Here I Am. And I just remember looking at this beautiful black woman and like no other black woman I had seen. Um, I was raised Muslim at the time, so all of the women were covered like nuns. And I just, she just changed my life in that moment. Um, so I think when I start doing my concerts next year, maybe I'll open up with Here I Am. And, and she still is my favorite. Um, so for me, music, I can't imagine having survived what I have without music. But I didn't have a particular song. I just had all, all of the songs were inspirational. Thank you for that. Just uh, music as, as an escape. And one of the things I think of uh, my ancestors um, and some of our ancestors here in, in the room, our ancestors worked in the plantation fields and there's always this thing that, you know, black people are good singers, but actually, I think actually it was an adaptation. It was an adaptation to the trauma that actually we needed to sing to be able to soothe ourselves, to, to save ourselves, to be able to tell our stories. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Somebody else who wants to share. It was Ray of Warf 
something singing about parents gone away. This is the one that stuck with, came right up. Brown skin girls stay home and mind baby. Daddy gone away on a sailing boat and when he don't come back, stay home and mind baby. Mm. Hello, Calypso. Mm. I have a lot of them, but they're generally in charge of the station of And keep, keep hold of the, the mic and yes. what was your childhood like? On paper, pretty good. Mm. Palm trees, sunshine, two parents, two cars, three bedrooms, two baths, um, tropical. Stay home and mind baby. Daddy going away. Comes back home, but drunk. Mm -hmm. You know, the alcoholic home. Um, mm -hmm. But on paper, it looked really good. No mm -hmm. violence of a physical. Let's parent. not talk about what's on paper. Right, so emotional abandonment, a lot mm. of emotional, spiritual abandonment, mm. not a lot of um, sort of, um, I think I've, the word just disappeared, um, benign neglect. Mm. Sure. Uh, mother, not mother, motherless and fatherless. Yeah. Stay home and take care of the baby kind of view. Yeah. Parent your own inner child, we ain't got time. Yeah. Thank you, thank you for sharing. Let's bring the mic, mic back. Yes. I'm sorry. I feel guilty for talking about my parents. Guilt isn't a feeling. I, okay. So what's going on in the body? Come home to the body. The shame. And shame isn't a feeling. There's a story in that. Come back. What's, what are you feeling in the body? I need to go here. Um, you, you can stop. It, it's an invitation. You mean actually physically feeling? Yes. I, there's a burning right under my diaphragm. My okay. breath is getting short. My shoulders yeah. are climbing and I want to disappear. And s just stay with that. Yeah. See if you can stay with that rather than go into the story of the guilt and the shame that creates the mental slavery. And I realize it's uncomfortable. It's unpleasant. And you want to move away from it. You want to disappear and you're doing really, really well. See if you can just put a hand on your heart. All of us can put a hand on our heart and just receive kindness as you breathe in. And as you breathe out, breathe out the kindness throughout your whole body. And I'm sorry that you had to live in a household with an alcoholic. That's scary unpredictability scary sorry yeah that you didn't have the parenting that you needed yeah. Yeah. the dalai lama even says it's so important for young children to have love where do we learn that healthy love if we don't learn it yeah and you didn't learn that you didn't get that We had a hand in the front here, Vivian. I think two songs came to mind. Um, the initial one was me running around the living room. Uh, I was obsessed with Mariah Carey. <laughs> so it was actually Emotions was the first one that came up. And then I kind of jumped forward to 
later on, I think in like, I must have been 16, I had a boyfriend at the time, he used to make these amazing playlists, and um, he introduced me to Nina Simone, and there was a cover that she did of a David Bowie song called Wild as the Wind, and that was a song I used to play over and over again, um, especially, I got kicked out of four schools in four years, and uh, every time I'd leave the school, um, I'd end up playing that song. That was like the, my go-to song. And um, yeah, I don't know, it just, just brought me back, back to that. And I can understand exactly what you went through. Um, maybe not exactly, because I wasn't there, but I can relate to it. And uh, everything was perfect on paper, too. I, I grew up in a really um, privileged household. But uh, my father also struggled with, with alcohol, and, um, and that played out later on for me as I was, you know, rebelling, and it still does. So, anyway, thank you. Thank you. And how are you doing? I'm shaking. Yes, I can. Yeah, I'm shaking. I'm I didn't, yeah, I'm usually not someone who shakes like that, but I think that that brought up a lot for me. Yeah, so. and just stay with what's, the, yeah. what's going on in the body yeah. right now. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, my could hear the sadness in the which is yeah, it's appropriate. Yeah. yeah, thank you for sharing. Thank you. Okay. Anybody else who would like to to share? Uh, just something came to mind that I hadn't thought of in a while. It was this uh, record that my parents would play and it had a it was kind of a narrated orchestral tale called Peter and the Wolf and the music was really enthralling even if I was really young and the tale was ominous and frightening but the it was something to that carried you through it, the way mm. it was constructed. Mm. So I remember wanting to hear it many times. And I think it was something I, I don't know, I don't remember anybody else being there. Like, mm. put the record on and mm. be me in the record. Mm. Yeah. What was going on in your household? Um, a lot of moving, uh, mental illness, mm. addictions, mm. chaos, mm. violence, mm. sexual abuse, mm. all of it. Mm. It was not a good place to be. No. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Peter and the Wolf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Peter and the Wolf. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, these. Yeah. It's interesting where my attention goes in my neck. Mm. Um, there's always a place where I want to numb out mm. and disappear. Mm. Um, it's tricky to sit with mm. the numbing out, mm. to make room for it. Mm. Uh, 
There was something I learned in a retreat I went to in New Mexico uh, about a karmic, having a karmic knot. Say that again? It was called a karmic knot, mm -hmm. which was this place where each of us would feel sort of the Mara of who I am. And mine was that um, I'm broken and there's no one out there. It was like this place where it's a difficult one to sit in the body with, but useful. Thank you for um, talking about the difficulty of sitting with the body. I just want to say something about that and we'll take a break and then we'll do the another practice. Um, yeah, we hear, we, we hear um, sit with it and we know that uh, Pema Chodron says lean into the sharp edges of it and uh, what what she's saying is, is not lean into all those overwhelming thoughts. When we've gone into the thoughts, we've actually moved away from what is happening in the body. And there's something, um, I think often, and I know this used to get me into trouble, that I thought that the liberation is I'd never feel these feelings again. And that's not the liberation. The liberation is, is that this pain and sadness will arise, but it won't be that gravitational pull that pulls us into some dysfunctional behavior. That it won't be this gravitational pull that will pull us away from what is, is, is going on. So we have to accept that, you know, those of us who grew up with trauma, one thing we have to accept that it's going to take quite a few years to work with. I think some people tend to think like, oh, you know, we'll be done in one or two years. I love, you know, I, I, I love um, working with um, people who, who are just like in their early 20s. Just, you know, I always say that you have, you have these childhoods and then you, you get to 20 and you, you spend your whole 20s trying to get over your childhoods, you know. And uh, in, in 30, you know, when you get into your mid-30s, if you're fortunate, then there can be some space. But the thing is, if you've had a lot of trauma in your life, you're going to have this uh, PTSD. Things are going to keep on arising. But we begin to see through them. You know, we, we don't regress in being this young person again. I often say to people, how often do you want to carry this around with you? You know, I, I remember hearing this story. There was this person who had been really angry with somebody for about five years. And it so happened that there was this conference and they were both on the same panel. So you can imagine, like, this person's, like, they're reading, it's like, oh, no, I'm not this person who I've been really angry with for the past five years is on the same panel. So anyway, after the panel, the, this friend of mine went up to this person and said, you know, I have to tell you, I've been really angry with you for the past five years. 
And do you know what that person turned around and said? I don't know how this person was able to stay calm, I think from practice, because, you know, the, this person turned to this other person and said, I've been really angry with you for five years, and that person turned around and said, I never felt it. <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? Thank God for meditation. That's what I said to my friend. Thank God for meditation. But, you know, that is the reality that, you know, even after these parents have died, we're still angry and frustrated with them and they're dead and gone and they're cremated and they're six foot under and they can't feel nothing. But yet we are still walking around with this anger and pain. And we can be free we really, really can be free of that. You know, if somebody had said to me 10 years ago, one day you'll look back at your life and just say, so what? I would have said, you don't understand, you don't get it, blah, blah, blah. But it is possible to look back and just say, so what? You know, it really is possible with practice. But this thing of sitting with it, we have to learn to open up the aperture. So this thing of when we say, become aware of, of the body. It's simply becoming aware of what the body is, is touching. And, and, and not just this, it's like becoming aware of sounds so that, you know, if this pain is too much, just become aware of what you're hearing or what you're smelling or what you're tasting or what you're seeing rather than identifying with these thoughts. This is becoming aware of the body. And, you know, when we can become aware of sounds, it can just open up the aperture and give a bit of space. It's not like sit there and, okay, I've got to sit with it and I've got to knuckle my way through it. Yeah. It's to give some space and some kindness. So we're going to do a practice. This day is going to be a, a meta day. We did do a bit of just sitting um, the first thing we did in the day, but we're going to do a practice of uh, metta, some, some loving kindness. So we'll take a break, we'll take a 10 minute break back at um, 5 to 12. Okay, so take a break and then we, we'll do a practice, a metta practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.